Chapter 25 The Seer Overheard The fact that Harry Potter was going out with Jenny Weasley seemed to interest a great number of people, most of them girls. Yet Harry found himself newly and happily impervious to gossip over the next few weeks. After all, it made a very nice change to be talked about because of something that was making him happier than he could be than he could remember being for a long time rather than because he had been involved in horrific scenes of dark magic. You'd think people had better things to gossip about, said Jenny, as she sat on the common room floor leaning against Harry's leg and reading the Daily Prophet. Three Dementors attacked in a week, and all Ramilda Vons does is ask me if it's true you've got a hippogriff tattoo across your chest. Ron and Hermione both roared with laughter. Harry ignored them. What did you tell her? I told her it's a Hungarian horntail, said Jenny, turning a page of the newspaper idly. Much more macho. Thanks, said Harry, grinning. And what did you tell her? Ron's got a pygmy puff, but I didn't say where. Ron scowled at Hermione. Hermione rolled around laughing. Watch it, he said, pointing warningly at Harry and Jenny. Just because I've given my permission doesn't mean I can't withdraw it. Your permission, scoffed Jenny. Since we didn't give me permission to do anything anyway, you said yourself you'd rather it was Harry than Michael or Dean. Yeah, I would, said Ron grudgingly. And just as long as you don't start snogging each other in public. You filthy hypocrite. What about you and Lavender thrashing around like a pair of eels all over the place? Demanded Jenny. But Ron's tolerance was not to be tested much as they moved into June. For Harry and Jenny's time together was becoming increasingly restricted. Jenny's owls were approaching, and she was therefore forced to study for hours into the night. On one such evening, when Jenny had retired to the library, and Harry was sitting beside the window in the common room, supposedly finishing his herbology homework, but in reality reliving a particular happy hour he had spent down by the lake with Jenny at lunchtime, Hermione dropped into the seat between him and Ron, with an unpleasant, purposeful look on her face. I want to talk to you, Harry. What about, said Harry, surprisingly. Only the previous day, Hermione had told him off for distracting Jenny when she ought to be working hard for her examinations. The so-called half-blood prince. Oh, not again, he groaned. Will you please drop it? He had not dared to return to the room of requirement to retrieve his book and his performance in potions was suffering accordingly. Though Slughorn, who approved of Jenny, had jocularly attributed this to Harry's being lovesick. But Harry was sure that Snape had not yet given up hope of laying hands on the prince's book, and was determined to leave it where it was, while Snape remained on the outlook. I'm not dropping it, said Hermione firmly, until you've heard me out. Now, I've been trying to find out a bit about who might 
make a hobby of inventing dark spells. He didn't make a hobby of it. He, he. Who says it's a he? We've been through this, said Harry crossly. Prince, Hermione, Prince. Right, said Hermione, red patches blazing in her cheeks as she pulled a very old piece of newsprint out of her pocket and slammed it down on the table in front of Harry. Look at that. Look at that picture. Harry picked up the crumbled piece of paper and started at the moving photography. Yellow with age, Ron leaned over for a look, too. The picture showed a skinny girl of around 15. She was not pretty. She looked simultaneously cross and sullen, with heavy brows and a long, plaited face. Underneath the photograph was a caption. Aline Prince, captain of the Hogwarts Globstones team. So, Harry said, scanning the short news item to which the picture belonged. It was a rather dull story about inter-school competitions. Her name was Aline Prince. Prince, Harry. They looked at each other, and Harry realized what Hermione was trying to say. He burst out laughing. No way. What? You think she was a half-blood? Oh, come on. Well, why not, Harry? There aren't any real princes in the wizarding world. It's either a nickname, a made-up title somebody has given her, or it would be their actual name, shouldn't it? No, listen. If I say her father was a wizard, whose surname was Prince, and her mother was a muggle, then that would make her a half-blood prince. Yeah, very ingenious, Hermione. But it would. Maybe she was proud of being a half-prince. Listen, Hermione, I tell you, it's not a girl. I can just tell. The truth is, you don't think a girl would have been clever enough, said Hermione angrily. How can I have hung out with you for five years and not think girls are clever, said Harry, stung by this. It's the way he writes. I just know the prince is a bloke. I can tell. This girl hasn't got anything to do with it. Where did you get this anyway? The library, said Hermione, predictably. There's a whole collection of old prophets up there. Well, I'm going to find out more about Aline Prince, if I can. Enjoy yourself, said Harry, irritably. I will, said Hermione. And the first place I'll look, she shot at him as she reached the portrait hall. This Records of Old Portions Award. Harry scowled after her for a moment, then continued his contemplation of the darkening sky. She's never got over you outperforming her in potions, said Ron, returning to his copy of 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi. You don't think I'm mad? Wanted that book back, do you? Of course not, said Ron robustly. He was a genius, the prince. Anyway, without his bizarre tip, he drew his finger significantly across his own throat. I wouldn't be here to discuss it, would I? I mean, I'm not saying that spell you used on Malfoy was great. Nor am I, said Harry quickly. But he healed all right, didn't he? Back on his feet in no time. Yeah, Harry said. This was perfectly true, although his conscience squirmed slightly all the same, thanks to Snape. You still got detention with Snape, 
this Saturday, Ron concluded. Yeah, and the Saturday after that, and the Saturday after that, sighed Harry. And he's hinting now that if I don't get all the boxes done by the end of the term, we'll carry on next year. He was finding these detentions particularly irksome because they cut into his already limited time he could have be spending with Ginny. Indeed, and he frequently wondered lately whether Snape did not know this, for he was keeping Harry later and later every time while making pointed asides about Harry's having to miss the good weather and a variety of opportunities it offered. Harry was shaken from these bitter reflections by the appearance at his side of Jimmy Peaks, who was holding out a scroll of parchment. Thanks, Jimmy. Hey, it's from Dumbledore, said Harry, excitingly, unrolling the parchment and scanning it. He wants me to go out to his office as quickly as I can. He, they stared at each other. Blimey, Ron whispered. You don't reckon he hasn't found. Better go and see, hadn't I? Said Harry, jumping to his feet. He hurried out of the common room and along the seventh floor as fast as he could, passing nobody but Peeves, who swooped past in the opposite direction, throwing bits of chalk at Harry at the routine sort of way and crackled loud, crackling loud as he dodged Harry's defense. Once Peeves had vanished, there was a silence in the corridor. With only 15 minutes left until curfew, most people had already returned to their common rooms. And then Harry heard a scream and a crash. He stopped in his tracks, listening. How dare you! Arr! The noise was coming from the corridor nearby. Harry sprinted toward it, his wand at the ready. Hurling around another corner, he saw Professor Trelawney sprawled upon the floor, her head covered in one of her many shawls, several sherry bottles lying beside her, one broken. Professor! Harry hurried forward and helped the Professor Trelawney to her feet. Some of her glittering beads had become entangled with her glasses. She hiccuped loudly, patted her hair, and pulled herself up on Harry's helping arm. What happened, Professor? You may well ask, she said shrilly. I was strolling along, brooding upon certain dark porches. I happened to have glimpsed, but Harry was not paying much attention. He had just noticed where they were standing. They were on the right side of the tapestry dancing trolls, and on the left side that smoothly interrupted, uninterrupted, impenetrable stretch of stone wall that concealed, Professor, you are trying to get into the room of requirement. Um, I have been vouchified what? She looked suddenly shifty. The room of requirement, repeated Harry. Were you trying to get in there? I, well, uh, I, I don't know students. I didn't know they knew about that. Not all of them do, said Harry. But what happened? You screamed. It sounded as though you were hurt. I, uh, well, said Professor Trelawney, drawing her shawls around her defensively and staring down at him with her vast, magnified eyes. I wish to uh, uh, this, this deposit certain um, uh, personal items in the room. And she muttered something about nasty acquisitions. 
Right, said Harry, glancing down at the sherry bottles. But you couldn't get in and hide them. She found this very odd. The room had opened for him, after all, when he had wanted to hide the half-blood prince's book. Oh, I got it all right, said Professor Trelawney, glaring at the wall. But there was nobody already in there. Somebody in who? demanded Harry. Who was in there? I have no idea, said Professor Trelawney, looking slightly taken back at the urgency of Harry's voice. I walked into the room and I heard a voice, which has never happened before in all my years of hiding, uh, using the room. I mean, a voice saying what? I don't know what it was saying, said Professor Trelawney. I was uh, hooping. Hooping? Gleefully, she said, nodding. Harry stared at her. Was it a male or a female? I would hazard to guess a male, said Professor Trelawney. And it sounded happy, very happy, said Professor Trelawney, sniffling. As though it was celebrating, most definitely. And then? And then I called out, who's there? You couldn't have found out who it was without asking, Harry asked her, slightly frustrated. The inner eye of Professor Trelawney, with dignity, straightening her shawls and many strands of glittering beads, was fixed upon matters well outside the mundane realms of hooping voices. Right, said Harry hastily. He had heard about Professor Trelawney's inner eye all too often. And did the voice say who was there? No, it did not, she said. Everything went pitch black, and the next thing I knew, I was being hurled headfirst out of the room. And you didn't see that coming, said Harry, unable to help himself. No, I did not. And I say, it was pitch. She stopped and glared at him suspiciously. I think you'd better tell Professor Dumbledore, said Harry. He ought to know Malfoy's celebrating. I mean, that someone threw you out of the room. To his surprise, Professor Trelawney drew herself up at his suggestion, looking haggardly. The headmaster has intimated that he would prefer fewer visits from me, she said coldly. I'm not one to press my company upon those that do not value it. If Dumbledore chooses to ignore the warnings, the card shows. Her bony hand closed suddenly around Harry's wrist again and again, no matter how I lay them out, and she pulled the cards dramatically from underneath her shawls. The lightning struck tower. She whispered, Calamity, disaster, coming near all the time. Right, said Harry again. Well, I still think you should tell Dumbledore about this voice and everything going dark and being thrown out of the room. You think so? Professor Trelawney seemed to consider the matter for a moment. But Harry could tell that she liked the idea of retelling her little adventure. I'm going to see him right now, said Harry. I've got a meeting with him. We could go together. Oh, well, in that case, said Professor Trelawney with a smile. She bent down, scooped up her sherry bottles and dumped them unceremoniously in a large blue and white vase standing in the nearby niche. 
I miss having you in my class, Harry, she said, scoffly, as they set off together. You were never much of a seer, but you were a wonderful object. Harry did not reply. He had loathed being the object of professional Professor Trulani, continual prediction of doom. I'm afraid, she went on, that the nag, I'm sorry, the centaur, knows nothing of cartonomacy. I asked him, one seer to another. He had not to sense the distant vibrations of coming catastrophic, but he seemed to find me most comical. Yes, comical. Her voice rather hysterical, and Harry caught a powerful whiff of sherry, even though the bottles had been left behind. Perhaps the horse has heard people say that I have not inherited my great-great-grandmother's gift. Those rumors have been banded about by the jealous for years. You know what I say to such people, Harry. Would Dumbledore have let me teach at this great school? Put so much trust in me all these years, had I not proved myself to him? Harry mumbled something indistinct. I will remember my first interview with Dumbledore, went on Professor Trelawney in throaty tones. She was deeply impressed, of course, deeply impressed. I was staying at Hogshead, which I do not advise. Incidentally, bedbugs, dear boy, but funds were low. Dumbledore did me the courtesy of calling upon me in my room. He questioned me. I must confess that at first I thought he seemed ill-disposed towards deviation, and I remembered I was starting to feel a little odd. I had not eaten much that day, but then, and now Harry was paying attention properly for the first time, for he knew what had happened then. Professor Trelawney had made the prophecy that had altered the course of his whole life, the prophecy about him and Voldemort. But then we were rudely interrupted by Severus Snape. What? Yes, there was a commotion outside the door, and it flew open, and there was that rather uncouth barman standing with Snape, who was waffling about having come to the wrong way up the stairs, although I'm afraid that I myself rather thought he had been apprehended, even eavesdropping on my interview with Dumbledore. You see, he himself was seeking a job at the time, and no doubt hoped to pick up tips. Well, after that, you know, Dumbledore seemed much more dis disposed to give me a job, and I could not help thinking, Harry, that it was because he appreciated the stark contrast between my own assuming manner and quiet talent compared to the pushing, thrusting young man who was prepared to listen at keyholes, Harry dear. She looked back over her shoulder, having only just realized that Harry was no longer with her. He had stopped walking, and they were now ten feet from each other. Harry, she repeated uncertainly. Perhaps his face was white to make her look so concerned and frightened. Harry was standing stock still as waves of shock 
crushed over him, wave after wave, obliterating everything except the information that had been kept from him for so long. It was Snape who had overheard the prophecy. It was Snape who had carried the news of the prophecy to Voldemort. Snape and Peter Pettigrew together had sent Voldemort hunting after Lily and James and their son. Nothing else mattered to Harry just now. Harry, said Professor Trelawney again. Harry, I thought we were going to see the headmaster together. You stay here, said Harry through numb lips. But dear, I was going to tell him how I was assaulted in the room of... You stay here, Harry repeated angrily. She looked alarmed as he ran past her around the corner into Dumbledore's corridor, where the long gargoyle stood sentry. Harry shouted the password at the gargoyle and ran up the moving spiral staircase three steps at a time. He did not knock upon Dumbledore's door. He hammered, and the calm voice answered, Enter, after Harry had already flung himself into the room. Flocks, the phoenix, looked around. His bright black eyes gleamed with reflected gold from the sunset beyond the window. Dumbledore was standing at the window looking out at the grounds a long black traveling cloak in his arms. Well, Hetty, I promised that you could come with me. For a moment or two, Harry did not understand. The conversation with Trelawney had driven everything else out of his head, and his brain seemed to be moving very slowly. Come, come with you. Only if you want to, of course. If I? And then Harry remembered why he had been eager to come to Dumbledore's office in the first place. You found one? You found a horcrux? I believe so. Rage and resentment fought shock and excitement for several moments. Harry could not speak. It's natural to be afraid, said Dumbledore. I'm not scared, said Harry at once, and it was perfectly true. Fear was one emotion he was not feeling at all, which horcrux is it? Where is it? I'm not sure which it is. Though I think it can be ruled out, the snake. But I believe it to be hidden in a cave on the coast many miles from here. A cave I have been trying to locate for many years' time. A cave in which Tom Riddle once terrorized two children from the orphanage on their annual trip. You remember? Yes, Harry said. How is it protected? I don't know. I have suspicions that may be entirely wrong, Dumbledore hesitated, then said, Harry, I promise you that you could come with me, and I stand by my promise, but it would be very wrong of me not to warn you that this will be exceedingly dangerous. I'm coming, said Harry, almost before Dumbledore had finished speaking boiling with anger at Snape. His desire to do something desperate and risky had increased tenfold in the past few minutes. This seemed to show on Harry's face, for Dumbledore moved away from the window and looked more closely at Harry, a slight crease between his silver eyebrows. What has happened to you? Nothing. 
replied Harry promptly. What has upset you? Not, uh, not upset. Harry, were you ever a good occumens? The word was the spark that ignited Harry's fury. Snape, he said very loudly, and Fox gave a soft quack behind him. Snape's what's happened. He told Voldemort about the prophecy. It was him. He listened outside the door, Trelawney told me. Dumbledore's expression did not change, but Harry thought his face whitened under the blood-tinged cast by the setting sun. For a long moment, Dumbledore said nothing. When did you find out this? He asked at last. Just now, said Harry, who was refraining from yelling with enormous difficulty, and then suddenly he could not stop himself. And you let him teach here, and he told Voldemort to go after my mom and dad. Breathing hard as though he was fighting, Harry turned away from Dumbledore, who still had not moved a muscle, and paced up and down the study, rubbing his knuckles in his hands and exercising every last bit of restraint to prevent himself knocking things over. He wanted to rage and storm at Dumbledore, but he also wanted to go with him to try and destroy the Horcrux. He wanted to tell him that he was a foolish old man for trusting Snape, but he was terrified that Dumbledore would not take him along unless he mastered his anger. Hetty, said Dumbledore quietly, please listen to me. It was as difficult to stop his relentless pacing as to refrain from shouting. Harry paused, biting his lip, and looked into Dumbledore's lined face. Professor Snape made a terrible... Don't tell me it was a mistake, sir. He was listening at the door. Please let me finish. Dumbledore waited until Harry had nodded, then went on. Professor Snape made a terrible mistake. He was still in Voldemort's employ on the night he heard the first half of Professor Trelawney's prophecy. Naturally, he hastened to tell his master what he had heard, for it concerned his masters most deeply. But he did not know. He had no possible way of knowing which boy Voldemort would hunt from then onward, and or the parents he would destroy in his mysterious quest were people that Professor Snape knew that they were your mother and father? Harry let out a yell of mirthless laughter. He hated my dad like he hated Cyrus. Haven't you noticed, Professor, how the people Snape hates tend to end up dead? You have no idea of the remorse Professor Snape felt when he realized how Lord Voldemort had interrupted the prophecy. Harry, I believe it to be the greatest regret of his life and the reason that he returned. But he's a good oxman, ocklesman, isn't he, sir? said Harry, whose voice was shaking with the effort of keeping it steady. And isn't Voldemort convinced that Snape is on his side? Even now, Professor... How can you be sure Snape's on your side? Dumbledore did not speak for a moment. He looked 
as though he was trying to make up his mind about something. At least he said, I'm sure I trust Severus Snape completely. Harry breathed deeply for a few moments in an effort to steady himself. It didn't work. Well, I don't, he said as loudly as before. He's up to something with Draco Malfoy right now, right under your nose, and you still... We have discussed this, Harry, Dumbledore said, and now he sounded stern again. I have told you many of my views. You're leaving the school tonight? I'll bet you haven't even considered that Snape and Malfoy might decide to... To what? asked Dumbledore, his eyebrows raised. What is it that you suspect them of doing precisely? I... I... they... they're up to something, said Harry, and his hands curled into a fist, and he said, Professor Trelawney was just in the room of requirement, trying to hide her sherry bottles, and she heard Malfoy whooping, celebrating. He's trying to mend something dangerous. And there, if you ask me, he's fixed it. And at last, you're about to just walk out of school without... Enough, Dumbledore said. He said it quite calmly, and yet Harry felt silent at once. He knew that he had finally crossed some invisible line. Do you think that I have once left the school unprotected during my absence this year? I have not. Tonight, when I leave, there will again be additional protection in place. Because I suggest that I do not take the safety of my students seriously, Harry. I didn't, mumbled Harry, a little absurd, but... Dumbledore had crossed him. I don't wish to discuss the matter any further. Harry bit back his retort, scarred that he had gone too far, that he had ruined his chance of accompanying Dumbledore. But Dumbledore went on. Do you wish to come with me tonight? Yes, said Harry at once. Well, well then, listen. Dumbledore drew himself up to his full height. I'll take you with me on one condition, that you obey my every command I might give you at once, and without question, of course. Be sure to understand me, Harry. I mean that you must follow even such orders as run, hide, or go back. Do I have your word? I, uh, yes, of course. If I tell you to hide... You will do so, yes. If I tell you to flee, you would obey, yes. If I tell you to leave and save yourself, you will do as I tell you. I, Harry? They looked at each other for a moment. Yes, sir. Very good. Then I wish you to come with me. Fetch your invisibility cloak and meet me at the entrance hall in five minutes' time. Dumbledore turned back to look out the furry window. The sun was now a ruby-red glare along the horizon. Harry walked quickly from the office and down the spiral staircase. His mind was oddly clear all of a sudden. He knew what to do. Ron and Hermione were sitting together in the common room when he came back. What does he want? Hermione said at once. Harry, are you okay? She added anxiously. 
I'm fine, said Harry. Shortly, racing past them, he dashed up the stairs and into the dormitory, where he flung open his trunk and pulled out the marauder's map and a pair of balled-up socks. Then he sped back downstairs and into the common room, skidding to a halt where Ron and Hermione sat, looking stunned. I've got to be quick, Harry panted. Dumbledore thinks I'm getting my invisibility cloak. Listen. Quickly he told him where he was going and why. He did not pause either for Hermione's gasp or horror for Ron's hasty questions. They could work out the finer details for themselves. So you see what this means? Harry finished at a gallop. Dumbledore won't be here tonight, so Malfoy's going to have another clear shot at whatever he's up to. No, listen to me. He hissed angrily at both Ron and Hermione, showed every sign of interrupting. I know it was Malfoy celebrating in the room of requirement here. He shoved the marauder's map into Hermione's hands. You've got to watch him, and you've got to watch Snape, too. Use anyone else you can. Rustle up. From the DA, Hermione, those contact galleons will still work, right? Dumbledore says he put extra protection in the school, but if Snape's involved, he'll know what Dumbledore's protection is and how to avoid it. But he won't be expecting you to be on watch, will he? Harry, began Hermione, her eyes huge with fear. I haven't got time to argue, said Harry. Take this and, well, he thrust the socks into Ron's hands. Thanks, Ron, said Ron. Er, why do I need socks? You need what's wrapped in them. It's a Felix Felsis. Share it between yourselves and Jenny, too. Say goodbye to her for me. I'd better go. Dumbledore's waiting. No, said Hermione, as Ron unwrapped the tiny little bottle of golden potion, looking awestruck. We don't want it. You take it. Who knows what you're going to face out there? I'll be fine. I'll be with Dumbledore, said Harry. I want to know you lot are okay. Don't look like that, Hermione. I'll see you later. And he was off, hurrying back through the portrait hall and toward the entrance hall. Dumbledore was waiting beside the oaken front door. He turned as Harry came skidding into the topmost stone step panting hard and searching stitch in his side. I would like you to wear your cloak, please, said Dumbledore. And he waited until Harry had thrown it on before saying, Very good. Shall we go? Dumbledore set off at once down the stone steps, his own traveling cloak barely stirring in the still summer air. Harry hurried alongside under the invisibility cloak, still panting and sweating rather a lot. But what will people think when they see you leaving, Professor? Harry asked, his mind on Malfoy and Snape. Then I am off into Hogsmeade for a drink, said Dumbledore, lately. I sometimes offer Rosmatra my custom, or else visit the Hogshead, or I appear to, it is a good way, as any of us, 
distinguish one true destination. They made their way down the drive in the gathering twilight. The air was full of smells and warm grass, lake water and wood smoke from Hagrid's cabin. It was difficult to believe that they were heading for anything dangerous or frightening. Professor, said Harry quietly, as the gates at the bottom of the drive came into view, will we be operating? Yes, said Dumbledore. You can appreciate now, I believe. Yes, said Harry, but I haven't got a license. He felt it best to be honest. What if he spoiled everything by turning up a hundred miles from where he was supposed to go? No matter, Dumbledore said. I can assist you again. They turned out the, of the gates into the twilight. Deserted lane to Hogsmeade. Darkness descended fast as they walked. And by the time they reached the high street, night was falling in earnest. Lights twinkled from windows over shops as they neared the three broomsticks. They heard ranxious shouting. And stay out, shouted Madame Rose Myrta, forcibly ejecting a grubby-looking wizard. Oh, hello, Albus. You're out late. Good evening, Rosemara. Good evening. Forgive me. I am off to Hogshead. No offense, but I feel like a quieter atmosphere tonight. A minute later, they turned the corner into the side street where Hogshead's sign creaked a little. Though there was no breeze, in contrast to the three broomsticks, the pub appeared to be completely empty. It will not, it will not be necessary for us to enter, muttered Dumbledore, glancing around. As long as nobody sees us go, now place your hand upon my arm, Harry. There is no need to grip too hard. I am merely guiding you. On the count of three. One, two, three. Harry turned at once. There was a horrible sensation that he was being squeezed through a thick rubber tube. He could not draw breath. Every part of him was being compressed almost past endurance. And then, just when he thought he must suffocate, the invisible bands seemed to burst open, and he was standing in cool darkness, breathing in lungfuls of fresh, salty air.